All right. Well, uh, this morning I want to I want to kind of finish up uh, a bit of where we were uh, last week. I had a few more things I wanted to uh, address there, and then we're going to uh, we're going to shift uh, just slightly in terms of um, how we continue to think about uh, the engagement of uh, critical theory in culture and then how we think about that uh, biblically. And I think uh, as, we, as we are moving now into uh, away a bit from some of the historical uh, things uh, and we start to deal with its application um, and its implications, I think you're going to begin to see um, just how um, just how influential these ideas have been in Western civilization, especially over the last uh, 60, 70 years or so. <coughs> um, but before we move into the next section, uh, you'll recall that last week we spent some time uh, talking about uh, the ideas of Marxism specifically in relationship uh, to uh, economic systems, and we talked about um, the, uh, the parables that uh, we looked at, the parable of, uh, that, that showed this idea about wealth and about talent and about investment and, uh, and whether or not uh, Jesus was promoting this idea of redistributionism. And in fact, we, we saw that, uh, that Jesus actually talked about these ideas uh, in terms that many of us may even be a bit uncomfortable with, uh, specifically when he says in the end that those who uh, used what they were given wisely will be given more, and those who did not use what they were given wisely, it will all be taken away. And, uh, and he was speaking specifically there about what kind of investment. Was it their time or their talent, or what was it that they had that they were given? Okay, well, there, that, the one's gifts, that's a, that is a, a, uh, an implication from the text, but what does the text itself say? Yeah, they had money, <laughs> right? The Bible talks about money a whole lot, um, and, uh, and specifically, uh, what I, I want to think about with regard to what the Bible says about money is, does the Bible give us any clues, any indicators of, uh, of sound economic principles, not just for our own lives, but uh, something that uh, is pleasing to the Lord, that the Lord has established in His wisdom, uh, that if utilized, if implemented, will work uh, the best. And so my argument, I'm sure you are well aware, is that the ideas of Marxism that we've been talking about are certainly not uh, biblical principles uh, in any manner, and especially with regards to economic principles. And I do want to argue that a, uh, a pure form, if you will, of, of capitalism is a biblical concept. It's not just something that was uh, invented in the West, but is actually something that I believe the, the, the pure principles of it, and I say that because there's different Forms, but the pure principles of capitalism, I believe, are derived from the Bible. And uh, one, of, one of the things, as we talk about the development of Western culture, remember we said in the beginning 
uh, that uh, this was all based on biblical foundations, on biblical principles. And this was one of them, this idea of a free market uh, capitalistic uh, economy. And so uh, we looked at a few of uh, the parables. Uh, we looked at what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10. And he made very clear that if one was being lazy with their life, if they were unwilling and yet able to work, that they did not get to what? Eat. If you don't work, you don't eat, is the uh, general principle there. Now, um, well, let me talk about this too. We, we mentioned also the uh, going back prior to the New Testament in the Old Covenant and specifically in God's law. Right? What, is, what is the Eighth Commandment? What's that? Yeah. You shall not steal. Okay? <laughs> so, what did we say is implied by the command that you shall not steal? That we have what? private property, right? We don't, we don't have everything in common or else there is no such thing as theft, right? It all belongs to all of us. But if theft exists, uh, then there is an implication that we have private property. And in fact, the law demands that we have in place uh, what is necessary in order to protect one's private property, and we see that being worked out all through the Old Covenant and specifically in God's civil law. There are many, uh, many uh, portions of Scripture where you read in the civil law the punishments that were, uh, that were given uh, for one having uh, infringed upon the personal property rights of another individual. Can anyone think of any? Yeah, good. Ideas of restitution. So if, uh, if something was stolen, then the value of that needed to be replaced. And then as, in terms of a penalty, there was something placed on top of that. Um, what, what else? Any other things you can think of? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. If my animal kills your animal, then there needs to be some equity there. We need to make up for that because someone, uh, the idea being that someone was probably being irresponsible or they didn't, uh, they didn't set up the proper boundaries and so an animal got out or whatever the case may be, but it's built into the law that there is an equitable justice in that if, uh, if something that belongs to me is taken from me by uh, your actions, whether intentional or not, then it needs to be compensated. It'd be similar to... Um, if, uh, you know, your dog ran across the road in the neighborhood and I hit it with my car, there should be some sense of an obligation to, uh, to make right on that. Whether you intended to do that or not, there is, uh, there is something there that we, uh, as good neighbors, owe to our neighbor in, in trying to make right in this circumstance. And so uh, we, don't have, uh, we don't have oxen going at it. Uh, but we do have uh, situations, instances where this might be the case. If your dog escapes from your backyard and, and kills your neighbor's cat, while you may applaud your dog's efforts, uh, there is a necessity to, uh, to make right on that, right? We need to, uh, we need to make sure uh, that we respect the uh, property rights of other individuals. So 
Uh, there's rules in uh, the Old Covenant civil law with regard to, uh, to setting out boundaries, how we set boundary stakes to determine whose property belongs to whom, uh, what to do with that property, um, how, to, how to protect that property. Um, can, anyone, uh, can anyone remember what uh, the Bible says with regard to uh, the defense of one's home in the Old Covenant? Yeah, good. So we have a, a very simple principle that if one has uh, a home and uh, during the day someone breaks into their home, uh, that uh, they should restrain the person, they should do whatever they can. Uh, but uh, the idea being you can see what's going on and so uh, you shouldn't take their life. But if that same person were to break into the home in the middle of the night, uh, the Bible uh, says that if you are to take uh, the life of that person, if you are to kill them, um, that their blood is not on your hands. This is, uh, this is the defense of, of the home, uh, but it's also, uh, again, a, a protection of property rights. There's a violation of one's right to uh, private property, to, to privacy, to, uh, to their, their space, and for that space to be, uh, to be safe and to not be intruded upon. Right? So we have there's a lot of examples, and, and that's just in the Old Covenant. And as we, uh, as we read through the Bible, if you're really paying attention to this, you see many references to things belonging to people and never anything uh, negative about those things belonging to people. Even texts that talk about the necessity for generosity or providing for those in need, what do those imply? There you go. The implication is that I own something. And so the Lord is putting an obligation on me as his child to be generous with what he has given to me. Again, if the idea uh, were biblical that we hold all things in common, the Lord would have no reason to put any kind of obligation on me to give away anything of mine because who would provide it? In a Marxist system, who provides? The government, the state, right? So if the ideas of Marxism were biblical, then Jesus' appeals to things like generosity, the Old Covenant's appeals to things like property and everything else, all of these would be uh, addressed to the state. Uh, in, in the case of the Old Covenant uh, Israel, it would be addressed to uh, the nation of Israel. And yet even there, under a theocratic rule, there was still the idea of private property. Now, does that mean that we have no obligations on our private property to uphold anything for the common good of the community? In other words, does the Bible just give us this carte blanche idea that this is my property, I will do whatever I want, however I want, and no one has any right to say anything about it whatsoever. Is that what we see in the Old Covenant? Dan? No, Yeah. Good. So there, there are, there are uh, restrictions, right? It's not, it's not this sort of anarchy where we all just do everything and anything that we want without any idea for the common goodwill of mankind. Yeah. 
Yes. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And that was something we had addressed last week, right? That especially under uh, the, the theocratic um, civil government of, uh, of Israel, all of this is owned by the Lord. And so he, he gave and took away and had every right to do so, right? Um, and so we do have these principles. And that was the one, Dan, I was thinking of uh, with regard to... Uh, to uh, laws that were given in order to, uh, to provide some protection. The idea being that, um, in, especially in old, uh, old Covenant Israel, and you see this especially in the Middle East today, um, the roofs of the houses were flat. People would go out at night and sleep on the roofs because it was a lot cooler, um, and they still do that to this day. Um, and so they needed to make provision for the safety of people. And so they had to put up uh, something like a, um, a, a railing around the roof so that uh, it would protect someone from just falling off the side. If you got up in the middle of the night um, and uh, started stumbling around uh, or were sleepwalking, that you wouldn't just fall over the side of the house. And if, if that happened and you didn't make provision to, uh, to provide for their safety... Uh, then you would be held liable for their death. Okay, so um, I, my thinking, the way I think about that, is that, that those, some of those laws in t- today's uh, society would be akin to things like living in a homeowner's association. You do that voluntarily. Um, some of you do, some of you don't. I do. I have, a, I have theories about people who are really strict about homeowner's association rules. Um, I'll go into those one day, not today. Uh, but uh, but these, these things exist, right? We have ideas about uh, how things uh, like that should take place because we're looking out, in theory, for the good of our neighbor and uh, for uh, the good of their property, right? Why, uh, why does a homeowners association have rules about what kinds of fence you can put around your house? Well, that's actually a biblical principle because it, it has something to do not just with the value of my own house, it has something to do with the value of someone else's house. And I owe it to them to ensure that their private property is, uh, is uh, maintained or is, is, uh, the value of it is maintained and is not devalued by something that I am doing, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. I hope everyone, um, just for the recording, I'll repeat what Russ was saying, was that even with this idea of the fence around the roof of the house, uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't against God's law to not have the fence, right? If you didn't want to, or the railing, if you didn't want to put it up there, you didn't have to put it up there, but you better be sure that uh, no one's going up to the roof uh, to uh, sleep, because if they do fall off, then you're held liable for not having done that. So it wasn't this intrusive idea that you must do this if you own a home. Uh, no, it was the idea that if something happens and you didn't do this, uh, then uh, you will be held liable. And so uh, there's, a, there's a little bit uh, that, that's it's not, you know, sort of this uh, really draconian sort of uh, law that is, is placed on everyone that says no matter what, under any circumstances, you must do this in this way. Uh, there's still a lot of leeway there with regard to one's uh, private possession, right? So um, we have, 
we have so many different things. Uh, we, could, we could talk about this uh, for a long time. And I, I think um, the more that you start to think about uh, the principles of economics and, and how we see those being worked out throughout Scripture, I think the more you will see that uh, the system uh, that the West established uh, was based on biblical principles. That's not to say that in its entirety it has maintained uh, a biblical framework um, and in doing so that everything that happens within that framework is, uh, is completely sound or biblical. There are things about the way that our system functions today uh, that we as Christians should take issue with. But I think by and large that those issues are, um, are minor in comparison to the value that is provided uh, by the system being what it is according to biblical principle. So um, it's, uh, it's something that today, especially and within the last few years even, in the national conversation, uh, you hear a lot of people uh, not just downplaying, but outright saying is evil, right? Why, why would people look at something like these biblical principles we're talking about, and specifically this idea of, of private property, and not just having private property, but being able to accumulate private property through industriousness, through ingenuity, through entrepreneurship, that one being able to do this is an evil thing. What is, if we're going to uh, steel man their argument and give them the benefit of the doubt as to why they might think those things, why do you think they would argue against uh, these principles? Best possible light. Okay? Good. So maybe the idea is that... Um, and, and you'll, hear, you'll hear people say this sometimes, why would anyone need all of that? Why does anyone need to be a billionaire? They're just being selfish. And so they don't need all of that, and we can, uh, we can, um, we can tax them 99%, and they'll still have 1%, which is more than anyone else makes. And so they don't need that. They're just being selfish when they think uh, that, that that shouldn't be the case, right? Okay, what else? Yeah. Okay, good. It goes back to that, uh, the fundamental issue that we talked about at the beginning with regard to Marxism, right? That there is this, there is this uh, disparity, there's inequality that exists in the world. And so we need to level out the inequality. And so those who have should be giving the, to those who do not have. Um, and, and so we should, we should level the playing field. And as David's bringing out, that some will even make the argument that Christians, being Christians, saying what they say about, about life, about providing for those in need and everything else, have a greater obligation uh, to, uh, to do these things. And so um, it's this idea of, of coming to these equal outcomes with regard to distribution. That's actually, at the end of the he's Yeah. Yeah, that, again, this idea that everything belongs to the state and is distributed to the people, then um, a lot of our lands, you don't, uh, eventually what ends up happening is you don't, you don't have uh, people with big backyards. Uh, your backyard uh, is, uh, is a farm. It's farmland. And that farmland is utilized to grow crops that, 
uh, at the end of the day, um, may, not, may or may not go to you. They're for uh, the common good of the community. Charlie? Yeah. No, that's absolutely true, Charlie. And, and that there's a, uh, this is, if we, you know, I've, I believe it's very easy to poke holes into all of the arguments that are raised by those who, um, who have Marxist economic principles especially. But um, the, uh, the generosity or the philanthropy of those who have a tremendous amount of money is, uh, is, is quite significant and often very much ignored, and especially among those who are Christians. Uh, one of the reasons I believe the Lord has blessed a, a company like Chick-fil-A so much is because of all that they have done to the glory of God for the good of the communities in which they exist. So much so that now, when you get your order from the drive through window, you don't even have to check if the order is done correctly because you know you get what the Lord wants you to have. <laughs> it's God's chicken. <laughs> and so these, these principles, they play out in really significant ways. And a lot of times we want to think about these things like economics and say, well, that's that really has no, you know, I'm a, I'm a Christian, yes, and I know the Bible says things about money, but in terms of economic principle and how a nation should be structured or, or how we think about economics, everything else, uh, that, that's, not, that's not things we need to be thinking about and talking about as the church. And so then uh, we hear things like, well, you're a Christian, right? So you should want to see the, the needs uh, provided for, for those who don't have anything, for poor people, for homeless people. Uh, why, why, aren't you, uh, why aren't you advocating for getting rid of resources to give to those in need? Why do you have uh, 10 acres of property with seven buildings? Why don't you sell all of the buildings and the property? We're trying. But why don't you take the proceeds of that and just give it all to the poor? Why don't you just do that? That's, that's Christian, right? What's the, what's the problem with that thinking with regard to the principles that we're addressing? Mark? Okay, that's good. The pragmatic argument being that um, you can see time and time and time again that that approach simply does not work because there are some underlying habits or reasons, not necessarily uh, because of an individual or a group of individuals, uh, but um, just throwing money at situations where there is need is, uh, is not solving problems. And in fact, it is making problems worse. And if you look at uh, a lot of policy on the national level that has been implemented, um, poverty issues haven't gotten better with more money. They've actually gotten uh, a lot worse. So in the pragmatic sense, that is absolutely true. Yeah. Yeah, and what, did, and what is Jesus' response to that? What's that? Yeah, 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 right. Um, <coughs> yeah, the, the disciples were thinking that way, right? And, and if we're going to give anyone the benefit of the doubt, it's, it's these guys, right? They, they're wanting to do the right thing. Well, why are you wasting this ointment? We could sell this and make money and then give the proceeds to the poor. 
and, and, uh, and Jesus rebukes them for that kind of thinking, right? Yeah, Jeff. It also sets up money in the book of Acts as a... Sure, Acts chapter 2. Right, right. Now, okay, go ahead. Yes. Good. Yeah, so we're... Uh, in that sense, we want to make sure that any, any way that we're serving others is holistic. It's not just... There's a financial need, we're going to meet it and send you on your way. Um, but holistically, we're looking at the, the whole person. If someone has significant financial need, oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, that comes with the reality that there are spiritual issues, uh, there are social issues with regard to uh, familial uh, relationships, uh, there, are, uh, there are work ethic issues sometimes, not always, but all these things need to be taken into account and just... Tossing money isn't, isn't the answer. Yeah. Good. And that's, that's really the factor here, right? Because if we're assuming that the person who owns uh, doesn't have the right to own these things, um, then we sort of get into this mindset of basically how much is too much. Well, the general perception, if you really drill down, is anything uh, that you have more than me, <laughs> right? That's really what it comes down to. Uh, if you ask anyone to draw the lines, how much is too much? Well, if you have more than me, then you have too much. So let's... Uh, so the idea of Marxism then is, uh, is that everyone gets... Uh, if, you make a, if you make a big pot of, of, of stew, that everyone gets an equal portion of stew, Right? The idea of capitalism is not that we just dole out equal portions of stew, but that we make a bigger pot, right? And the pot continues to grow based on uh, what, uh, what ways people are finding to contribute to that pot. Um, what, what is something other than philanthropic ways by providing for charities or the community or whatever else. What's another really significant, very important way that someone like a billionaire uh, provides for a community that is rarely even talked about? Ah, who creates the jobs? You know, in our society, there's a lot of discussion about job creation, and it's always revolving around what the government's doing. Um, a biblical system of government doesn't involve job creation in any way, shape, or form. Jobs are created by those who have needs and those who have ideas in how to implement those ideas to meet those needs. Right? That's a biblical concept. And we see people who are, uh, who are doing um, things uh, that are um, entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial throughout the Bible. Right? Uh, think of just the Proverbs 31 woman. What was she doing? Okay, she was caring for the household, but she was also doing something else. Yeah, she was, she was selling cloths, and the idea probably is that she was making clothing. She had a business that she was doing. Right? It wasn't that uh, she was a woman who stayed home and just relied on someone or some entity providing for her, though no, she went out and made sure that she was doing what she could in order, to, uh, in order to earn, in order to provide, right? And is she, uh, is she looked down on in the Bible? No, she's praised. 
She's praised for this, right? So we could, man, there's so many examples we could talk about here, but um, the principle that we need to, to think about is that <coughs> the idea is not uh, this redistribution of, of wealth, because to do that, uh, we talked before about incentive and why do people create new jobs and all of that. Well, wealth creation requires the opportunity for, um, for essentially, for regulations to back out and for the private sector to be able to uh, flourish on its own. And it will, uh, it will regulate and take care of itself. And I think the Bible uh, teaches that. So what objections, though, can we anticipate to this idea. One was raised with regard to people looking at something like Acts chapter 2, saying that all of the believers had everything in common. Okay, there's one major issue that is often ignored when people bring out Acts chapter 2. What do you think that is? Ah, all the believers had everything in common voluntarily, right? They came together and determined that this was how they were going to organize themselves in order to meet the needs of one another, right? No one was under compulsion to give of their resources. This was all to be done. The Bible tells us how. How are we to give with what? A cheerful heart, not under compulsion. Exactly. That's That's a great point. These are... These are the ways that the church itself had determined that they were going to govern themselves within the body of Christ. Not, uh, and so we can't just take this idea and transpose it on the state and say, so therefore this is how the state should function. The church, uh, the, the church is a distinct entity of people voluntarily uh, coming together, organizing themselves in such a way then we do have some obligations as the church, right? Now, again, it's not under compulsion because we, we have to uh, be a part of the church at the end of the day. Now, as Christians, we will be. Uh, but <coughs> uh, the Bible does give commands with regard to us giving, that we have an obligation to give as Christians to the church. We have an obligation to look out for uh, the body of Christ primarily over and above anyone else, right? The household of faith is of our primary concern. All these kinds of things come out, but again, it is, uh, it's not imposed by the state. It's within the church, and it's done voluntarily, and it's done. Hopefully, we're working for that to be done uh, by, uh, by us with a cheerful heart. Yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, sacrificial giving implies that this is not this sort of common uh, ownership. That we, we are giving something up. And that something being given up is out of what I have or what I've been given or provided for. It's been given to me by the Lord. Dan and, and then Derek. So, so even when, you know, so they were not for how much Exactly. Great point, Dan. Excellent. Right. Yeah, the early colonists, if you wanted to, you could have easily broken away and said, we're going uh, to go down uh, a few hundred miles down the road and do our own thing. Um, and then winter would come, and you would die, 
and uh, that wouldn't work out so well. Uh, so, uh, so, yes, it, it took some time to figure out, like, this is, this is how we need to uh, function, uh, but, uh, but if anyone, uh, now, again, some revisionist history would say otherwise, but if anyone could be uh, looked at and said that they were at least attempting to live according to biblical principles, it was those early colonists into, uh, into the Americas. Yeah. Great. Paul develops a craft in order to support himself, to support his ministry. And in fact, Paul's the very one who argues those who preach the gospel should be able to live by the gospel. Don't muzzle the ox while he treads out the grain is, uh, is a principle that Paul took from the Old Testament and applied it to, um, to providing for those who, who minister the gospel. And yet, Paul said, even though... Um, even though that is something that I could come to you as the church and demand because uh, it is, uh, it is uh, your obligation, it is your responsibility to provide that, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to continue to work so that you can never look at me and say that I took advantage of you in any way, shape, or form. No. Well, the principle with the manna being provided has a lot more to do with... Um, uh, with understanding the Lord, the Lord's provision, understanding uh, the seriousness with which he has with regard to uh, resting and not laboring on, on the Sabbath day, uh, those kinds of, uh, of principles. But the Lord surely is providing, and if the people weren't collecting, then they, they weren't going to eat, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> if you join the cult, I'm sure you can have all the tea you want. <laughs> Good. Well, we're, uh, this has been a, a, great, um, a great discussion. We're not going to have time to switch topics. We'll just jump into that next week. But I'll say this as we, as we end out. Um, if you want an example to think through with regard to how these biblical principles of economics have played out in uh, in Western civilization in a way that has been, a, has been beneficial not just to Christians, not just to rich people. Um, think about all that has been created in Western civilization because the church exists and because the church has taken these principles seriously in order uh, to do that. I've already mentioned the one that is of primary importance, which is Chick-fil-A. Um, so what, what else, though, has been created in Western civilization as a result of the church that has benefited all mankind. Hospitals, right? The vast majority of hospitals, regardless of what they are today, and I'll say this about every institution, regardless of what they are today, uh, they came about as a result of the, of the church seeking to do uh, what it could to provide uh, for the needs of the people, and in that sense, the physical needs of their communities. Right, the first university created, Oxford University. Uh, this was, uh, this was the, the church and um, especially these ideas born out of the Renaissance, the Reformation, these ideas that uh, we need, uh, and, and they were promoted well, well beyond uh, what the first university was, but the idea that we need to be educated. And, and the first universities were really established to educate, um, especially uh, the clergy, at one point, way back in history, the most educated people in any community were 
uh, were the members of the clergy, uh, were, the, were the ministers of the word. Um, and and uh, that, that was an important thing to the church. And so they established universities. And so all of the great universities, so-called great universities of today, uh, those were all established by the church. Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Stanford, all of these were initially Christian institutions. Um, it's the church. Now, how does the church do that? Are they, um, can the church do that if everything the church has, they're just sort of giving away? There, it, it required a bit of an accumulation of some wealth uh, by all that people gave in order to do that, right? We're learning firsthand in our work in Nigeria that uh, creating an institution, uh, it, requires, it requires money, right? <laughs> What's that? Tuition was, uh, was likely not free. Uh, very quickly you learn there are many expenses associated with that. So, uh, good. So, let's, uh, we're, we're out of time, so we'll end there. Um, next week, what I want to get into is how these ideas now are translating. Uh, the ideas of, of Marxism and, uh, and how that worked into critical theory, which we've talked about a bit. Um, how that has influenced ideas about family, about the family structure, and about, um, about our ideas as a culture about sexuality and, uh, and, and how that has played itself out, especially in the last uh, 50 years. So I want to, I want to stake my claim uh, and make the uh, thesis statement, if you will, uh, that I draw uh, the ideas of the sexual revolution uh, back to the ideas of the Marxists of the Frankfurt School and critical theory. So we'll look at that uh, next week. So let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you again so much for our time together. I am grateful for the discussion we've been able to have. Um, I pray, Lord, that it is profitable to each of us as we think about these principles in our, our own personal lives, first and foremost, in our families, in our homes, in our church, in our community, in our nation, and around the world, Lord. The implications of what we are discussing, are, are discussing from the scriptures are, uh, are significant. And, uh, and Lord, help us to not be a people who, uh, who think so narrowly uh, that we forget uh, that uh, the application of Scripture uh, goes well beyond um, just what we, uh, what we want to talk about as uh, Christians within the church. The implications of, of what we do and how we think about these things uh, really do uh, play into the development and the propagation of civilization that we pray uh, would, uh, would be on uh, these biblical principles. Uh, may we be a faithful people who know how to think through these things, uh, and, and may we utilize the resources that you have given us, uh, that we each hold individually, that we hold as an entity, as the church, uh, that we would use them well, that we would steward them in ways that are pleasing to you that are creating more wealth, that are providing more jobs, that are providing more opportunities uh, for people to learn and to grow and, uh, and to, uh, to flourish. Uh, that truly is our desire as your people. And so may we think wisely, uh, may we um, invest well, and may we do all of these things with our great end being uh, to your glory. Would you pray now that you would prepare our hearts, prepare our minds as we gather for worship, that you would be glorified in this hour, and we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.